Many of you will know we're on week three of our series on the book of Jonah, the story of the prophet who runs away from God's plans and purposes for his life and gets swallowed by a whale. And you'll know if you heard Gare's introduction, if you didn't, please go back and listen to the first one of the series, that there's an ancient debate as to whether the book of Jonah is a historical account or a narrative parable. And at the heart of this debate, of course, is the question, can a man be swallowed by a whale and live? And after centuries of theological debate by some of the church's most robust intellectual theologians, I'm going to answer that question for you this morning. Because, because if, why are you laughing about that? You never know. I could be brighter than you think. In June of last year, a commercial lobster diver escaped relatively unscathed after being swallowed by a humpback whale. In a biblical-sounding encounter that whale experts describe as rare but plausible, Michael Packard, 56, said in local interviews and on social media that he was diving off the coast of Provincetown when the whale suddenly scooped him up. (laughs) I'm trying to keep serious. He was about 45 foot down in the water when he suddenly felt this huge bump and everything went dark. He initially feared he had been attacked by a shark. Then he says, I felt around and I realized there were no teeth. I felt no great pain and realized, oh my God, quite an appropriate response. I'm in a whale's mouth and he's trying to swallow me. I was in his closed mouth for about 30 to 40 seconds before he rose to the surface and spat me out. I'm very bruised, but I have no broken bones. So there you have it. For those of you who have been wrestling, yeah. For those of you who have been wrestling with this question, staying up at night like I have with anxiety and, uh, you know, comfort and peace to you. There's the question. Right. Let's take a moment, let's pause, let's pray before we dive in the belly of the beast. Let's take a moment to pray and invite you to close your eyes. Take some deep breaths. Let's allow the presence of God to fill us. Invite the presence of God to give us eyes to see. the meaning behind the meaning in this story, to give us ears to hear the prompting of his voice, to give us hearts that would allow the Spirit of God to search us and to know our anxious thoughts. Father, send your Spirit as we dive into this story, I pray in your name. Amen. As we've heard, the parabolic nature of this story shows us how we can self-sabotage our walk with God. Like a mirror reflecting back at us as we read through the story, we get the uncomfortable realization that in the life of Jonah, we can see ourselves Recognizing that just like him, you and I can make decisions to refuse to hear or to ignore 
what God is asking of us and go in our own direction. Thinking we're heading into life when actually we're running away from God into a disaster of our own making. And last week we ended with Jonah getting into the ship and heading in the opposite direction from which God had asked him to go. The ship goes into a storm, Jonah's blamed for the storm, and then he's thrown overboard into the ocean. And this is where the story begins to get a little weird. If you've got your Bibles or your apps, your phones, we're going to open to the book of Jonah, bless you. Jonah chapter 117 to 2.10, it's going to appear on the screen where it says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waves threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 11 o'clock in the morning in church, and I've mentioned being vomited onto dry land. What a prayer and what a story. I wonder if any of you have ever prayed, Dear Lord, I give you all my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations and I surrender them to you. Lord, I'll do anything with my life. You know those moments? There's a great moment. Max is leading us in worship and we get caught up in worship and we make a very zealous promise that we'll do just anything God asks of us. Anyone here do that every Sunday? But actually, we don't really mean anything. Because we all have little lists, don't we? Tucked away in our hearts that we think no one can see. Little lists of the things that we get really excited about. Over here are the things that if God asked me to do it, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm so up for that. Go after that. Yes, Lord. But then there's this other list. And this is the list that if he asked me to do that, yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah, anyone know those lists? Ever sensed God calling you to do something or go in a particular direction and you reply something like this, oh Lord, that sounds absolutely wonderful, but can I just correct you for a moment? I think you may have got that wrong. Just that little part there, I think you've got that wrong. I've got an app called Waze and it knows the streets of LA 
so much better. And this way is much faster, has less traffic, a lot less painful, and will get me to the destination you're calling me to go much quicker and easier. Sometimes we need to realize the long way round is exactly the way God wants us to go because there are things we learn on the journey that we need for the destination when we get there. Have you ever felt like you've been swallowed by darkness? Ever wondered that you've so blown it with God that he's given up on you? Ever thought yourself beyond the mercy and grace of God while you're in good company with Jonah? This morning, I want to talk about discovering the severe mercy of God while in the belly of darkness. Discovering the severe mercy of God while in the belly of darkness. Jonah has the mistaken idea that he can make slow, incremental steps in the wrong direction away from God and make a better life for himself. And what starts as a small internal decision with no initial consequences ends up leading him into the belly of darkness. And as a result, he literally and metaphorically ends up looking down the mouth at death itself. And when the consequences of his decisions cause him to hit rock bottom, God transforms what looks like circumstances leading to death to circumstances of God's severe mercy, waking him up and giving him another chance at life. That's the story we're looking at. And you need to remember that the book of Jonah is a prophetic literature. It's literally placed in the minor prophets in the Old Testament. So as you read the story, it doesn't take long before its prophetic nature is revealed. Jonah uses the story to prophetically illustrate to the people of God that the circumstances they find themselves in are the consequences of their idolatry and disobedience to him. This is the constant pattern of Israel's relationship with God. You know this, don't you? They would abandon their covenant relationship with him. They'd turn away from his plans and purposes for their lives as a people. And they would slowly get enmeshed into the gods of the culture around them. I wonder if that rings true to anyone here. Giving their allegiance over to the worship of idols like money, sex, power, influence, pagan gods. They get led away into faithfulness, faithlessness and would end up being swallowed into the belly of darkness and exile. And you see this in their story over and over again, repeating itself. And then God, in his mercy, sends prophet after prophet after prophet to woo God's people back to their allegiance to the one true God. And they say three key things. Here's what you're doing. Can you see it? Here's what you're doing. Can you see it? Here's how you've abandoned your relationship with God and gone your own way. And this is what's going to happen if you don't turn back to him. Prophet after prophet after prophet. Listen to just a couple of other prophetic voices and the metaphors they use in their language to God's people when they walk away from God. Hosea chapter 8 verses 7 and 8 will appear on the screen. They sow the wind 
This is Israel having walked away from God. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. Look at the words that are bolded. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. It's the storm. Foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is what? It's swallowed up by the belly of the beast. It's swallowed up by the belly of another nation. It's been swallowed into exile and separation from God. Jeremiah 51.34, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has what? Devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion, overboard, thrown us over the ship into the confusion of the sea. Do you see the metaphor? He has made us an empty jar. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies. And then what does he do? He spews them up. He vomits them up. Do you see the similarity of the language? Do you see the metaphors being used? Time and time again, Israel gets enmeshed in the culture around it and as a result ends up swallowed into the belly of darkness, into exile, separated from God. And Jonah makes the same mistake. Jonah mistakenly thinks he can successfully run and hide from God. I mean, the futility of thinking you can hide from God. I have three children. When they were really little, we used to play a game called hide-and-seek. Anyone else play that game, hide-and-seek, with children? Don't you love how children play it? You say, you count, and then you run and hide. Okay, so close your eyes, everyone close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes, and I want you to count out loud to five, okay? Start now, count. Now, now this is what my kids would say. You can't see me. Come and get me. I mean, for those of you that don't know where I am, I'm over here, which is why I'm waving. Yeah? <laughs> Do you see the absolute stupidity of thinking we can hide from God? I'm serious. What makes us think that we have the capacity to hide from God and escape his presence. What makes us think we can hide things in our heart from God? This is exactly what David's speaking to in Psalm 139. Listen to the words he uses in verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed, where? In the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I, like Jonah, think I can get on a boat and settle on the furthest side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even darkness will not 
be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. Can you hear the metaphors that David is resourcing from the prophets to write his psalm about the nature of God and the reality that you and I, no matter how far we run, no matter how much we think we're hidden, cannot escape God's presence. In the words of the great philosophers, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, we literally have nowhere to run to, baby, nowhere to hide. And here's the beauty of the prophets. They always point to God's plan of redemption, restoration, and renewal. You see, God's commitment to his character of mercy is always stronger than the consequences of our sin and brokenness. I'm going to say that again. God's commitment to his character of severe mercy and grace is always stronger than the consequences of our sin and brokenness. And in true prophetic tradition, the story of Jonah is pointing to the future mercy of God that lies at the heart of the gospel, as so many prophets do. The raging sea and the cross are both places of darkness, desperation, and death. The fish in the tomb where Jonah and Jesus lie for three days are a step towards life after death. And in both cases, God's the one responsible for new life. So Jonah ends up in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And while there, he begins to reflect on where his decision to have a go at life has got him. And it's here he begins to see God's involvement in the circumstances that he's facing. And as he does, he begins to come out of denial, wake up to the reality he's in, and we start to see he cries to God. Listen to his cry for help in verses 2 to 3. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You, he's referring to God here. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swelled about me. All your, again, all God's waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah begins to see that the consequences he finds himself in are actually the work of God. It's God who held him into the depths. It's God's waves and breakers that sweep over him. You see, this might be difficult for us to understand in a self-centered culture where it's all about a God of blessings and God blessing a sort of sense of success and self-improvement. But Jonah sees the consequences of his decision as being sent by God to awaken him to God's severe mercy. And just like the prodigal son, you know the story, just like the prodigal son who takes all his father gives him and goes off to a foreign land and squanders it on self, on shallow self-fulfillment and ends up in the belly and darkness of feeding pigs in depravity. Jonah comes to his senses and he begins to realize what's going on 
while he's in the belly of the whale. Look at verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight. And then what does he say? Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah, in the harsh reality of the belly of darkness, begins to slowly turn back and look toward God. Something to note here for us. Can you remember the times you've done that yourself? If not, maybe practice it. When was the last time I heard God speak to me? When was the last time I sensed God's presence and favor and love and mercy and grace? Where was that place? And can I identify where I went wrong? Which wrong turn I took? Do you see what God's doing in the belly of darkness? God will often let us feel the full weight of our consequences of our decisions to reveal the root of why we self-sabotage. I've been here. I've seen it. And in doing so, we discover the severe mercy of God and our stubborn individualism and autonomy is broken. And it's in this brokenness that we humble ourselves Turn back towards him and learn what it means to be dependent on God as opposed to self-sufficient. Oh my word, does the church need that in this age, I want to suggest. This is where we learn to become fully surrendered and dependent on him. He did it with Jonah. He did it with Israel. And he'll do it with you and me. So if your idea of God, that his purpose is to bless your idea for living your best life, I've got news for you. You will find yourself on a ship of your own making, heading towards the belly of darkness. Let me put it another way. If if you've allowed our culture's worship of self to shape your understanding of who God is, you might just find yourself constantly being swallowed by a whale. Then he'll use the darkness of the belly to break us, shape us, and force us to our knees in prayer and worship to him. The question is, is your vision of God big enough Is your vision of God big enough to allow the discomfort of his severe mercy to challenge, change you, break you, and shape you into the character he's forming you to be, that you are created to be, really? Back to the prayer. Lord, do anything. Send me anywhere. I give you my dreams, hopes, and desires. Now I'm going to give you the list that's outside the list. And I'm going to say, God, do anything. Do anything. I'd rather you do what you really want to do than me create a ship of my own because I'm a terrible captain of my own ship. Oh, my word. Aren't I, darling? (laughs) 
We just make terrible captains of our own ships. And this is the beauty of this place, where Jonah discovers God's mercy, so his prayer shifts. And it shifts from lament to praise. Look at verses 8 and 9. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Have you ever reached that point where you realize the very thing you're clinging to is absolutely worthless? It's like ash between the fingers. It just, and you're like, oh, geez, I've done it again. <laughs> yeah? Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one up here. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. This is Jonah's breakthrough moment. This is the breakthrough cry. He's still in the belly of the fish. The circumstances haven't changed. He's not yet vomited out. He's still there in the darkness. He's still there wrestling through the consequences of the decisions he has made. But instead of lament, blaming God, self-pity and anger and blaming others, you know, all that stuff that we can do, all that wonderful stuff, he sees the futility of his own idolatry and he begins to turn back to God. And as he does, he starts to give thanks, praise and worship. This is a discipline. It's almost like a forgotten muscle memory. He just, ah, oh, I've got to do this. This is what I've got to do. I know the way out is to turn back to him. I know the way out is to remember who my God is. I know the way out is to give thanks and praise irrespective of the circumstances I find myself in. And I'm going to do that until I'm vomited up and out. Sometimes... In his severe mercy, God will let us self-sabotage our lives. Sometimes, in his severe mercy, God will allow us to feel the full weight of the consequences of our decisions to walk away from him. And sometimes, God uses the darkness of the belly to break us, to shape us, and to mold our character and to get rid of stubborn individualism and autonomy. This is the point. You know, don't you, God loves you and me way too much to allow us to waste our lives worshipping a God of our own making. And so he will send a whale to swallow you. So if you're in the belly of darkness right now or tempted to walk away from the God who is inviting you into a way of life as Jonah did, if you're thinking, yeah, I know what time the ship leaves and I've got a ticket to get on board, I want to encourage you, don't. Recognize that you've begun to ignore what God's asking of you. Recognize that you are tempted to go your own way. Recognize 
that he may have said something to you a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, some years ago. And you've walked away from that place and right now you're sitting in the belly of darkness. Come out of any denial. Come out of self-pity and anger and the blame game that we can do so easily. Blaming God and others. And just begin to orientate yourself back toward the Lord. Come out of hiding and be honest with God. Come out of hiding and be honest with God. Come out of denial and be honest with God. And let him lead you out of the darkness into the light. Cry out with Jonah. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand.